You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Welcome to Anything is Potable. The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, and I have dunked a ladies basketball so I can call myself Jam. And I am joined, as always, by Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic. You might know him as the kid. You might know him as the god. Jay King, everyone. We just had a, a marvelous Zoom call with Brad Stevens, Taco Fall, and the Time Lord Rob Williams. We learned a lot, but you know what? The big news, all the whispers coming out of that Zoom call were just the second unit, man. They're hearing a lot of thing, good things about the second unit. It's exciting. A lot of second unit talk on tonight's Zoom call. Brad Stevens was asked about what makes him optimistic. Guess what he said? First, he said just that they're playing basketball, which makes sense. (laughs) He's excited. He's excited that there's basketball being played. He is optimistic about the basketball, the fact that they're playing basketball. But after that, he said the most encouraging thing has been the play of our second unit, per se, would be what I'm really excited about. I think guys have made the right strides to be really impactful. Now, I I just want to point out as a disclaimer, this could be gas. It could be full (laughs) gas. This is training camp. Training camp, we haven't seen anybody play. We haven't seen any of the rookies in the bubble. We haven't seen Grant Williams come back. We haven't seen Robert Williams come back. We haven't seen any action from anybody, including the second unit. This is a time when hyperbole happens. Oh, yeah. When nothing is going on, all the questions are repetitive, and you hear the same shit every day. But Brad went out of his way to praise the second unit. So we are going to pretend like this is not gas and it's legitimate and that the second unit did get better. And we're going to discuss what that would mean for the Celtics. It would mean a lot. It would would mean mean a lot. lot. They don't even need to get better as a unit. They need one of them to be better. (laughs) Like like one person to step up and make strides. Uh, If, if, um, If you could choose one, who would it be? I think it has to be – it comes down to what you wrote today about the Williamses. It's got to be Grant Williams or Rob Williams. I think it's got to be Grant. If Grant can be, like, shoot at all and, like, not be a, a zero on offense, I think it makes, like, all this – the whole Brad Stevens basketball is built about like, versatility, high-flying defenses, and if he can be, like, serviceable on offense so people don't sag off him and he can knock down a corner three – I think that really opens up like kind of the versatility of the Celtics. I think Rob Williams has less, I guess, potential to be a two-way player. I think is he's just he's never going to be a less potential. Rob what, is, what does Rob do on offense other than he flies? Catch lobs? He flies, but the, flying and being able to catch lobs and being a threat in the middle is a huge deal. We see it year after year where the top offenses typically have someone. As a roller, like doesn't have to be someone who teams who would be like considered a great player. But if you can put consistent pressure on the rim, it sucks in the defense and guys have to react to that. So I I think he just provides a different threat that way than any of the Celtics 
probably of the entire Brad Stevens era have. Like, I can't remember. He's the only above-the-rim guy that I can think of Brad's ever coached. Don't disrespect Tice. Tice is not above the rim. I like Tice more than anyone else, but he's not an above-the-rim player. Tice has above the rim moments, but oh, now now you're on the Daniel Tice bandwagon, Mister B plus himself. B plus is a good grade, man. <laughs> Maybe for you, not for me, dog. How how long are you gonna harp on the B plus thing? That was mid season <laughs> grades like seven lifetimes ago, considering how long this coronavirus hiatus has lasted. Tice still remembers. Uh, there's no chance Tice <laughs> knows what grade I gave him. In. He in might, grades. but he's certainly not an above the rim player. I think like, where do you value more? Is it like Grant Williams being able to be another guy like Tice who can maybe allow this other to play five out? Or is it the guy who plays uh, the traditional rim running role? Like you've convinced me a little bit about like putting pressure on the rim, especially in thinking about going up against the Bucks. Like they're a team that protects the rims at all costs and kind of gives up three pointers. And so, but no, even just talking right there, that makes three-point shooting that much more important when you're because the Bucks literally will let you shoot threes. So you're going to want to have five guys out there who can shoot threes. And so I've, I'm back on the Grant Williams train where it, like that's the guy who needs to step up. When I think about the second unit though, and the, like they were uh, Robert Williams was asked today who was the most impressive. He mentioned two guys who I was assuming are going to have zero impact on the playoffs: Romeo Langford and Carson Edwards. Romeo, I believe in so much more than Carson just because he showed himself somewhat capable um, on offense. And Carson's pretty much just a, a, a guy who can shoot and has meaty thighs. But beyond that, I'm not sure. Guy who can allegedly is. shoot. Yeah, he shot in college. He shot in the NCAA tournament, but he and he did it for the Red Claws. Uh, but not I just don't see them really having a role once the playoffs come down like all this talk about the second unit, it's really just like who's the best backup big or like out of the perimeter options. And I consider the perimeter options, Brad Wanamaker, Shimmy Ojale, and Grant Williams behind Marcus Smart. Obviously Marcus Smart is he's part. He's a be, starter. He's, oh, he's part of the starter. rotation. He's basically a starter, but like the other perimeter options, just Wanamaker, Grant Williams and Shimmy Ojale, Right. And like, those aren't really perimeter guys per se, uh, I mean, so does Romeo have a lane there to like kind of step in? And this is another interesting question with like, given how they're likely going to use Kemba, where I don't imagine he's going to play. He's one, he's going to be on a minutes restriction. Two, I don't know if he's going to play in all eight seeding games. Does that give one of those, I guess, perimeter players like Wanamaker, maybe Romeo? Um, I don't think Tremont Waters is necessarily ready to step up. Another news we heard today is that he had a, concussion four days ago and is still recovering from that but given that Kemba is going to be kind of eased back into things does that give an opportunity for one of these uh, second unit guys to to step up yeah I I don't see Lankford or Edwards no matter how improved they are cracking the playoff rotation it just doesn't they'd have to gain so much ground from where they were before the hiatus happened like Lankford had, he didn't do much of anything offensively. He had defensive moments for sure. He had some rebounding moments. I remember he, he made some threes. Dunk. Yeah, he had a, a putback dunk. dunk. Yeah. The threes were very, very rare. He he very rarely even tried to do anything offensively. Um, and then Edwards shot 
horrifically in both the NBA and the G League throughout his rookie season. So those guys, there's just so much ground to, for them to cover that I don't think they'll be able to to do that and beat out a guy like Brad Wanamaker, who's been solid most of the season for a spot in the playoff rotation. Long term, though, having one or both of those guys emerge as a player could be really important. And, and we've talked all season about how badly the Celtics need shooting. Well, Carson Edwards projects as a shooter if if he figures things out. And so th- if, if he does become a shooter, if he does become a threat off the bench, a scorer off the bench, that that's a big deal. And then Langford, you know, Gordon Hayward, obviously he has one more year left on his contract, assuming he opts into it like everyone expects him to do with the current world. But after that, like, are you going to pay him to stick around considering how much money you're going to pay Tatum, Brown, and Kemba Walker? If you don't pay him, there's going to be minutes on the perimeter. And, and, and guys on rookie Langford. deals are going to be uh, pretty valuable then. And we know how how much the Celtics have prized versatility and switchability and long athletic wings, which is exactly what Romeo Langford is and exactly why they drafted him late in the lottery last summer. So long term, I, I think the, the fact that they've shown improvement or at least Robert Williams said they showed improvement, which could just be gas, but it could also be real. Um, if if those guys do turn into players, it matters. And like th- we've talked about this too, the Celtics they don't have, they're not going to have money to spend for a while. So finding rookies on rookie deals would make a big difference to to have those guys as contributors toward the back end of the rotation. Do you buy into the idea that because it's been a full off season of time since the Celtics actually last played basketball? that the guys who were rookies who normally get better going into their second year, guys like Romeo, guys like Grant Williams are suddenly going to have made some sort of leap that they would normally have had in their, in their second season because of like all the weird circumstances. So should we expect Grant and Romeo to have like, to be demonstrably better than they were um, in the, in the first real season? I think a lot of the like progression in the NBA comes in, leaps and bounds. it's not always it's not it's linear not like, yeah it's not linear it's not like every player follows the same script where you go into your rookie summer you transform overnight and come back for your second year better but i do think there's something to the fact that like when you get time to step away and time to sort of digest what happened in a long season that you were stuck in the middle of for a long time you can kind of figure out things and maybe gain, grow more confident and certainly come back with a, a better grasp of where you fit into the hierarchy, how you fit in the NBA and what your role should be, could be on the Celtics and in the NBA. So I, I do think there's a possibility that even though these guys haven't been able to play a lot of basketball during the hiatus and even though, you know, five on five has been more of a myth than a reality the last few months that, that these guys could come back and at least mentally come back with a different mindset or at least just a, a, a heightened knowledge of what you're getting into. Like when you're a rookie, you don't know what the hell is going on. You don't really know what the season's going to be like. Obviously this is a bubble, so it's very different, but from a basketball standpoint, at least 
you know what to expect, and and that can make a difference for guys. I don't know if it will make a difference for any of the Celtics rookies, but it can make a difference for guys. If anyone like does show that improvement, that's the exact reason why. And uh, if they don't show the improvement, then we have like a built-in excuse for not. But like that's it's right. been, the, yeah, the storyline is building already. Like the narrative is already going there. Now, um, with the return of the NBA, Jay, did you know that the Athletic has launched a, a whole new Athletic NBA show, a daily podcast? I think you might you might know it, something about this. It's it's an awesome awesome thing. Um, I am. Super pumped that they asked me to be a part of it. So I'll be part of the basketball buds, which come to your earbuds on Monday. But the the cast is just star-studded. So there's a different show Monday through Friday, but it's all on the same podcast feed. Download the Athletic NBA show on Spotify, iTunes, whatever. David Aldridge is, is in it. Marcus Thompson's in it. Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, Sam Amick, Zach Harper, Wozni Lambry. Like, the, it's just... Stud, stud, stud after stud, stud, stud. And the thing I like about and it is like each I'm, different I'm show has its own really personality. Honored to be part of that group. Like you guys on Mondays are like the the people hanging out and like the basketball buds. And then there's the kind of the NBA insider with Sam Amick. And then uh the David Aldridge Waz show is uh kind of a different perspective. I just like anything that Ethan Strauss and Marcus Thompson do. Um, and then our man Dave Dufour is uh, doing more of the analytics. And so you get all of those different perspectives on the NBA show. So um, for that full kind of uh, if you just like there's something for everything and it's covering everything from uh, insider news to deep dives into analytics. And it's all produced by our main man, Jade Hoy, who is, uh, um, you know, Jade is the Jade is the guy who got me into podcasting. He's the man who's kind of overlooking the entire show. And so it's just like a, a really cool thing that I think the athletic is doing as they come back. So before the things tip off at the end of the July, subscribe to the athletic NBA show. It's available now, wherever, wherever you get your podcast and you're going to get, you're going to get to hear more Jay King. And that's, uh, you know, I didn't think I would be advocating for that in here in this space, but you know, I'm a company man. What can I say? The first, the first week already included guest appearances by Stan Van Gundy, by Steve Kerr. Like it's it's a pretty awesome lineup of podcasts. I'm not gonna lie, it's really really cool. Make sure to tune into the episode. So Marcus Thompson wrote this fascinating article about uh, NBA players trying to figure out how much weed they're gonna need weed! for the bubble, and then him and Ethan talked like had a full debate about it uh, on the Thursday show. And it's that just- show's gonna be awesome, by the way. It's fascinating. If you haven't read like Ethan's book about the NBA, he like I'm a big I'm an Ethan Strauss stan, and so I'm a huge fan of that show. It's Those just very do, they cool. They might be like the best thinkers among NBA writers. Like they're just really smart dudes who think differently than like the herd pack. And, and that show is going to be really, really smart and really, really fun. You know cool. what else is going to be really go really subscribe smart. the go Athletic subscribe. NBA show. So what do you think Brad is going to do with these eight seeding games? You wrote an article about it on The Athletic about what he's going to do with these rotations. I feel like normally Brad, with with the season, he kind of breaks it into um, quadrants where there's a lot of experimentation early on. He messes with some lineups. But like as he's building towards the playoffs, I feel like those rotations get more set and he's more consistent about what he's doing. This eight seeding game is like very much – you would think it's an opportunity to kind of get this playoff rotation set, but we've mentioned the Kemba Walker kind of injury. 
I don't know if the games are going to be meaningful. Like their final three games are against some garbage teams. Like and the there's Wizards. no such thing as home court advantage anymore. And so if the, at some point they get locked into a seed, like the three seed, like there might be nothing to play for. What are you doing as Brad Stevens? Like, what is you trying to work on? What are your main goals for these eight seeding games beyond just health? Like, because obviously like that's the number one, you want everyone to be healthy, but you also want to have some sort of, chemistry or like people playing well within the offense or like the defense moving all in one string how do you develop that and i guess these three scrimmages and then eight seeding games it's weird because we've talked about this all along like just a continuation of last season but in a lot of ways it really is or does feel like a new season like you have to rebuild all the habits you have to start kind of from stage one even though you have the same rosters but how do you build championship habits in in eight games you, oh, everyone else is going to do it too. So I know, but like, the the other teams already had them. There is content. I do think continuity will be a huge factor in these like success. I think teams that have been together for longer and are like better equipped to kind of like fall back into like, I think, like have a team identity. I think, like the Bucks, and I think see, the Celtics see, have been. I'm from not that. sure. I'm not convinced. Um, and I say that because like a couple years ago, the Celtics acquired Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Hayward snapped his leg in the first game of the season, and then they just rattled off a 16-game winning streak. And I feel like every year there's, like, some team that you don't expect that just rips off win after win after win. And it it doesn't always have to do with continuity. Sometimes it does. Um, But sometimes it's just, like, if you get the right mix of players at the right time and get them on a rhythm, then they can just start winning. And I I think there's more – opportunity for strangeness because of the circumstances in Orlando because of how long the NBA went on hiatus and because of how short the regular season will be but I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced continuity will have a lot to do with it because everyone got broken up at the same stage and is now trying to get back into it like everybody I know, but doesn't, had, that, doesn't that give it advantage to people who had like spent years like more seasons together where they have you would more think of experience so, but like, to rely on isn't there isn't there if you were relying on that continuity in the first place don't you have more ground to lose like don't you have more of a chance to lose some of that continuity from the the months away i don't know i'm, I'm just spitballing here i mean we nobody, all were spitballing here no nobody one, like, knows what the fuck is going to happen in the that bubble. was gary's biggest let's point is just like we we have no idea what's going to happen so you're okay for some horrible, horrible series of events occurs where Jay King becomes the head coach of the Boston Celtics for these. Why would that be horrible? That would be fucking fantastic. Because I want my the Celtics to win, Jay. I, I have never lost <laughs> a playoff series as a head coach in the NBA. You're a goon. Um, but okay, so... In this hypothetical world where you are undefeated um, and you are the head coach, what is your goal? Like, what is, what are you trying to establish? What How do you establish habits in eight games? Is it trying to make sure that the defense is making all the right reads? Is it making sure the offense is flowing? Is it just getting guys, like, wind back? Like, what is your top priority? I think, number one. Hiring Jam Packard as your assistant coach. Number Sorry. one, defensive rotations. <laughs> number two, making sure everyone's taking good shots. Number three, starting to get the the mix of the right players on the court and getting them all chemistry. You know, the Celtics 
for as good as they were this year, they rarely had everyone healthy. And so I think it's going to be important for them to get everyone back on the court. To It's actually for- wild how, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but you like remember this point is actually back in my writing days earlier in the season when I wrote for Boston.com. But you mentioned this in um, your article about the, the best five lineup. They've only the the best five have only been healthy for something like ten games or so at the same time. Like they just really haven't gotten in a lot of minutes. And I've always thought that that would be a key thing, especially in the playoffs. That's their smaller lineup, but they could go small. And but their best five are their five best three point shooters. That's like potentially dangerous against a team like the Bucks or even maybe the Sixers in terms of just having playing five out playing kind of tenacious defense, but really having a shooter at every single position. Is that something you try to experiment with in the first eight, or you just kind of uh, relying on those guys to be able to kind of like work that out in the playoffs? I think you try to give it at least some stints because right now that group, and I don't really know whether that group can work. I think it would be kind of crazy to have Marcus Smart at center or Gordon Hayward at center or whoever the hell would play center with that group. But I also think it's worth trying. And so far this season, that group has played 15 minutes together. 15 minutes, which is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so if I were Brad Stevens, I would want to give it a couple stints, uh, try it out, see it, see what it looks like, see whether it works, see whether the defense can hold up, see how powerful the offense could be with those five guys in the court. I think it's got some quirky, weird, impressive potential, but... I would also want to see it. And then the other things as, I'm go ahead. I will I was just gonna say, as a a, a 2K um manager myself, the oh, lot like it's, manager. it's not sustainable. It's not something you're gonna go to for like like multiple times in a game. I feel like it's like a change of pace, like maybe let's just get something going here on offense, like let's do something different. It's like a it's really a feels like a wild card lineup, but I do think they need to use it somewhat so they know just like what are the biggest flaws in that how they're going to get like how teams will attack them if they are so small and kind of like the best way to double on that best way to rotate uh on those doubles and so but i i don't think it's like a, i don't think it's ever going to become their closing lineup i just don't think you can cl- like can do that it's just too susceptible for a big just to destroy them so but i do oh, think it can oh, it, be a change it depends of pace what lineup right like and it depends how the game goes. I, I, I'm intrigued by it against Milwaukee. Like, can you punish Brooke Lopez more than he and Giannis can punish you inside? I think it would be fun. And I don't know whether it would work. I have doubts. I have hope. I have everything else. That group, I'm not sure what it will look like. Um, it would definitely be weird. It would definitely be interesting. It would definitely be an up-and-down pace. And I do want to see it. Obviously, Kemba Walker being on a minutes restriction or expected to be on a minutes restriction when the seeding games come will limit opportunities for that. And it's possible that Brad Stevens has already written off that lineup and just has decided that they need a Daniel Tice. They need a, some sort of center in the game. Um, but if, if, if only was, we had a chance to ask him about this lineup. We've asked him about the lineup. <laughs> He's always noncommittal about the lineup. You asked him about the lineup. I have before, but now it's a different. Now he's like relaxed Brad. Today he was cracking jokes. Like, uh, I feel like we got a, a different Brad. He's focused on joy. Um, that was another thing to come out of the press conference of this weekend about that's his biggest focus. 
it's just interesting that like the dynamic in the bubble and we, we don't know how things are going to change, but you're right. I think it's a big, who knows? I don't like, I don't even know how they're going to treat these scrimmages gate, like scrimmage games. Are they any different than the eight seeding games? Like, yes. Brad, is Brad, Brad has already said that Tremont waters will play a lot. He's not, in it. He's not at least cleared, one bro. half. He's not cleared, bro. He's got, he's still in concussion protocol. That is true. But I'm, what I'm saying is, he intends to give minutes to guys who won't play many minutes in in real game. I think I missed that Zoom call. So, so I, <laughs> I think it's gonna it's gonna be like a preseason type of feel. And then obviously Kemba hasn't played much. The first scrimmage is four days from today. We're recording this on Monday, so there's not much time for him to get right for that scrimmage. I'd be surprised if we see much of him, if any of him, in the first scrimmage at least. So I, I now, think you, they'll he, be really light on the guys at that point. So Kemba did actually speak before the media. Um, and it's interesting because every media session we get Brad Stevens and then a uh, two players. And they just, at least I don't, I don't have the inside info of who the two players are going to be. And so when Kemba sat down, I was like, I, I audibly gasped because it was the first time he said anything. What were your reactions to kind of Kemba talking about his knee uh, and talking about the pain, and it's always kind of funny because, like, he asked a like he was got asked about it initially, and then kind of got asked the questions by the people who the Celtics uh, employ, and then like I think it was Corrales had to come back and be like, "Wait a second, Kemba, like let's talk about the pain in your knee." Um, what were your reactions to him? Like, obviously, he's not going to make it seem like a big deal, but it was I thought it was interesting his re- response about uh, just kind of how he's dealing with it. I feel like players are always the most optimistic about their bodies. They have to be. Because players, like NBA players have overcome huge odds in a lot of cases from the time they were young. They are used to beating every opponent. They are used to just climbing any hurdle they need to. And so when they get injured, they're like, yeah, this isn't a big deal no matter what the doctors are telling me, like, I'll be fine. I don't feel too bad. I'll be okay. It's also classic growth mindset stuff where it's like in order to fully reach back their potential, they have to believe that like their body is going to perform. I feel like a lot of the things about Gordon Hayward is like, it's, it's, he still had some hesitancy mentally about his injury. And so if you're not fully there, like confident in your ability, you're not going to be able to like perform. So they like, in order to reach, and like fully be healed, you have to kind of have that initial belief. Yeah. And so I don't know whether to trust Kemba when he says he thinks he'll be back better than ever. That was probably very optimistic. I think it's concerning that he was initially scheduled to compete in all the practices and then had a setback during individual workouts and dealt with knee pain even after so many months away. So even even though he seemed kind of cheery about the way his knee is reacting and said he's trending in the right direction. All that good stuff. I I want to see it because nothing that has happened with him from the standpoint of how much he's played in practice, how much he's been able to do during this training camp is really very optimistic, especially after he was away for three months and came back and said 
that he felt ready to go and he felt that his knee was in a really good place. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like, eh, my knee's not really in a good place anymore. That so. was the bit, that was my other takeaway is that he talks about he's never been injured in his career. And so this is really his first time coming back from an, an injury. So he really has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, he's like, wants to be optimistic, but clearly he was optimistic in June when he had a setback. And so there's no real reason to believe him because he's never like really encountered anything like this before. You can tell he loves hooping and you can tell it kind of kills him not to be able to be out there. But like the best, the best way to prove like or figure out what's going on in the future is to kind of based on the past, but Kemba's never really experienced this. And so there's no real reason to believe his optimism. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then obviously the Celtics are, preparing for this like they don't not that they don't care what happens in the seeding games but they're far far less worried about that than they are about getting ready for the playoffs and so they're going to take it slow and like i've said even if he was feeling pretty good taking it slow with him taking it cautious with him would be the right approach but the fact that he did deal with pain and the fact that he has had this setback even after so much time away isn't great even though he did say, like, he downplayed it. Um, but I, I just want to see it, man. I, I just want to see it. And, and obviously, well, like, he, he well, needs to be really it. quick. He needs to be really quick. He needs to be explosive or else he's not Kemba Walker. Like, that's it. He's not going to have nearly the same that's impact. That's what makes him so good is his ability to stop um, instantly and pull up from three. And, like, yeah. his ability, like, he does that better than anyone else in the league. And so if he's not – Doing that and then creating the separation to blow by guys like you've mentioned the stats about his uh while he was hurt his finishing at the rim just suffered and so he definitely needs that. Wash has escaped his uh uh bunker now he's getting us live video from the practices so maybe we'll be able to to see some Kemba Walker but you're right we're not we're like really going to be able to see it in full probably till the playoffs because he's going to be on a minutes restriction although you would hope that like in those seating games he would you would see some flashes of old Kemba Walker but. We really have no idea. That's the whole the whole theme of the bubble. We have no idea what's going on. Nobody knows what the fuck's going to happen in the bubble. I mean, that's that's all I we got. Need, right? We need to tell Schleck to title that podcast. <laughs> I don't think that's PC. I don't know if that uh, that goes on. Uh, you can put that on a title. Do you got anything else from the um, from the kind of since we last podcast? There's been a couple of Zoom calls. Clearly, I missed one of them, one or two of them. But like, did any players say anything interesting? Anything else that's a uh, Notes from the Jay King's reporter's notebook. I got nothing, bro. All right. Well, uh, that's perfect because uh, I got nothing either. Um, sounds uh, sounds like we covered everything. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You were supposed to shotgun another beer tonight because you're a believer in Kaizen and your first shotgun sucked. And- My first shotgun was not that bad. I had many people comment on it. It's like it wasn't awful. Well, now I have demanded that you shotgun another beer. You in the- excellently peer pressured me by bringing up my life philosophy in your bullying. And it's just like I was I got got. Yeah, I, I texted Backer today if if he was a Kaizen follower, like he truly claimed that he would he would try to shotgun a beer again tonight, but do it better this time. And so okay, we'll I just see. got beer all over the floor. So he's off to the same start he did last time. You got, you got to get in front of the – oh, there it is. There it is. 
Oh, that was good. That was better. Eh, still struggling a little bit. That one felt worse. <laughs> oh, my. Why do I give into peer pressure so easily? That was a dumb choice. That oh, thank pretty... you. Yeah, Rachel threw me a, a towel. I'm, my leg is covered in Paps Blue Ribbon. What would you say? That was like a three. Why, why Paps Blue Ribbon? You're a PBR guy? It's cheap, dog. I get I went to I went to Wegmans today. I got some nice expensive beers, but then I just needed some summer water, you know, just some some chilling out beers. And if I'm gonna shotgun, I'm not gonna like I see you're drinking a night shift at like IPA, I'm not gonna shotgun that. What'd you scoop at uh Wegmans? Um I got some night shift IPA started by some Bowden gentlemen, got that too. Um got some uh some summer beers that I forgot the name of right now, but they're good. You know, I also got some chips, salsa, going to make some chicken tacos later in the week. You know, normal shopping chip for the, for jam. <laughs> no, there you go. I'm just, I just like, don't know why I did that. I just feel disappointed in my decision-making that I let you bully me into that. Well, maybe, maybe next time the true Kaizen is that you decide to say no to me. Maybe that's maybe that's, maybe that's the real, the real the, that's the real lesson that you taught me. Wow! 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 I just <laughs> I just kaizen the shit out of you. You just mentally alphaed me like a true kaizen <laughs> warrior, and I commend you for it, J King. Yeah, call me Miyagi. <laughs> All right, if you want more of this uh, nonsense, uh, we'll be back later in the week, telling you whatever happened in the Celtics bubble. Uh, whatever happens on the Zoom call, we'll be here to talk about it. If you want to uh, read Jay King, go to The Athletic, subscribe. You can get all of his articles there. Subscribe to The Athletic NBA Show and subscribe to our show. Anything is potable. If you want content about the Celtics, a rating helps us tremendously. Uh, please give us five stars. Tell a friend. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And so thank you to listening to this episode of Anything is Potable.